We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome on in. This is the Roadwire Fantasy Football Podcast for Week 7. John McCackney and Mario Puig breaking down every single game on the slate. We got buys everywhere across the league. Tough lineup decisions to make. Injuries. So much to get to. Let's start the show. Welcome on in. This is the Roadwire Fantasy Football Podcast for NFL Week 7. John McKechnie and Mario Puig hanging out with you on this Thursday, getting you ready for, for this week. And, you know, Mario, we've kind of had this one circled uh, going back to when the schedule was re- was released. And, you know, with, with all of our combined hundreds of best ball drafts over the summer, we knew that Week 7 was probably going to be a problem for us. And it it is from the buys alone. And now we have injuries everywhere across the league in, in key spots. So, I mean, that makes – we're going to be rolling out some some stinky-looking lineups this week, are we not? Uh, I honestly had forgotten and stopped paying attention to whatever point this was previously significant, uh, whatever was previously significant about it, because I sort of just uh, – you know, I had so many – J.K. Dobbins, Nick Chubb rosters that uh, whatever problem week seven might have been for me otherwise was kind of like, well, who cares now? But yeah, uh, yeah I, uh, I I definitely feel a general stress every week for my life. It's it's a uh, it's it applies to this week, too. But I've, I've also been in that kind of just like uh, like roach survival, you know, but post nuclear uh, annihilation roach survival mode. And I, yeah, I've get yourself to the Twinkie factory for sustenance. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, I, I um in a in a more like composed state, I might have been like ah, tr- trouble afoot in week week seven. But I, I've kind of just felt like I've lived it long enough. I didn't really notice. Yeah, you, you guys must be new here. Uh, you know, because we we had Dobbins and Chubb go go down for the season in weeks one and two respectively. So we we've been here. We've been in the mud yes. for 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 a little while now. Uh, scra- scraping together some, some running back pickups, none of which seem to really be working out. And then like <laughs> Craig Reynolds is is banged up now. And it's like, oh, I thought he had a, this golden opportunity. We'll obviously get uh, to that Lions game uh, a little later on in the show. But I want to get things started, speaking of injuries, on the Thursday night game, uh, because we, we have a pretty central figure to this game whose status is up in the air. Of course, I'm talking about one Trevor Lawrence hurt his knee in Sunday's win over Indianapolis. They, uh, According to Adam Schefter, last I saw, 
they're not going to make a call on him until he gets a workout in pregame. So really, um, if, if you're dependent on Lawrence in a, in your league, especially in a two QB league, again, with all the buys and Justin Fields being hurt, this uh, this is a very, very significant lineup move for people to be making on their Thursday night. So my kind of sense is that is that Trevor Lawrence is going to play, but you, you wonder, you know, how limited is he going to be? How, do, how does the Jaguars offense kind of restructure on the fly to, to accommodate for the fact that Lawrence probably isn't going to be able to move around uh, as well as he normally does? Um, so that that all kind of leads to the Saints uh, being two point favorites in this one, which is a little bit it's like a full point different than it was a couple of days ago uh, in in the Saints direction. So that to me is is an interesting little tidbit. Yeah, so I had probably higher hopes for this year uh, in both teams' cases than than what has come true in either case. And I, uh, with that said, probably would have favored the Jaguars pretty easily, especially like at the preseason. Before I saw Press uh, Sherwood, Press Taylor, I, he's to me, he's Sherwood. Uh, before I saw him as a play caller, I, I thought this Jags offense was going to be a lot better than it has proven to be. And with with the Sherwood factor, with uh, Brandon Scherf, I, like he's, it seems like he's going to play, but he only had one limited practice all week. Uh, Walker Little's out, so I, I don't even know who the guards are for the Jaguars at the moment. I, I doubt it's something good, and uh, I'm I'm concerned that this would have been a difficult spot for the Jaguars' offense, even if they were fully healthy, uh, just because the Saints' defense is pretty good, and I, I think the Saints' defensive personnel might give the Jaguars some trouble, especially given uh, what I would call kind of like static play calling and sort of predictable play calling from press Taylor. I, I worry about the Jaguars playing on like kind of a small field, most offensive snaps, like kind of restrict, like kind of constricting themselves playing into the hands of the saints. And that's a really bad thing to do, especially probably against uh, a, a bigger defenses. Like the saints are like, they got uh, like Carl Granderson is the, uh, wait, no, Kurt, no, did I say the, the, the name of the Mets guy or the actual, uh, Saints guy? Uh, Curtis, Curtis Granderson played for every team. I'm pretty sure. Okay. So it is Carl Granderson. I like, I, I, I always mix those two up. Um, uh, Carl Granderson is like the small Saints lineman and he's, he's over 260. So it, he is smallish, but the other ones are like Cam Jordan. He's, he's pushing like 290. And even though he's like a 12 sack threat every year, he's, he's as big as a lot of defensive tackles on the end. They give about 20 to 25 snaps per game to that pass and yo guy. I still don't know what exactly he does, but he's, he's huge. So uh, if you're playing on a small field as, as a matter of like offensive choice, and, and then you go against kind of a, a defense that maybe gives up a little bit of speed for, for bulk in the first place, it just seems to me like kind of a, a you know, really claustrophobic kind of scenario where, where things could get a little wacky. So uh, particularly since Lawrence is, you know, so questionable like so 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 close to the wrong side of questionable i almost would rather just see bethard play this game and i don't i don't want to see trevor lawrence get hurt just so the jaguars can lose anyway uh, if they're going to lose with bethard uh, i would go almost as far as say they were going to lose with you know 75 percent trevor lawrence anyway in, in this particular matchup so yeah who knows where that goes bethard obviously is not good he is a little bit toolsy can kind of he's got like bootleg athleticism and he's got a pretty strong arm but uh, apparently he's got nothing else going for him but it, it's just a tough matchup and on the other side too is like the saints offensive line is generally obliterated and then they're also doing a bunch of shuffling of the personnel which is almost never a good idea you don't want to introduce turnover to an offensive line 
especially when it's a bunch of just like Cameron Irving, like they, they pick up him to play right tackle. Yeah. This, this could be a really ugly. Both defenses could score more than their own offenses. All right. So it, now I've got both defenses on my, on my showdown uh, lineup radar. Those days. It, it really might be. And then uh, it, tacking on, you know, it, is there anyone that, that's sort of like borderline, um, it, like on the fence of whether you're starting or sitting them uh, on the Jag side, if Lawrence is out, like what would you, would you sit a guy like Evan Ingram? Would you sit a guy like Christian Kirk or would, so would big, it just kind of lower your projection for them? A big uh, detail to watch, especially as it relates to Ingram is the status of Demario Davis, who did not practice at all this week. It sounds like he's going to kind of try to like, you know, iron man it anyway. We'll see. I mean, that, that guy's almost 35. He's still awesome. I don't even understand how he's been so good at his age, but it's like he's almost 35. 35-year-old linebackers playing without practice, I'm guessing, is kind of like a dubious categorical thing. Like, I doubt there's been many like, oh, that w- worked out great cases of that. So uh, even if Davis plays and he is not himself, that could get Ingram kind of free from what would otherwise be a, a nightmare matchup. Uh, otherwise, it is pretty close to a nightmare matchup because I, I think it's accurate to say that Davis and the Saints haven't given up a whole lot to tight ends in a while. But, uh, um, you know, tight end is such a low bar. I wouldn't really bench Ingram unless like I don't even know who I'd have in mind. Uh, I certainly wouldn't bench him for like a Conklin type, you know, uh, I do is, like, like is is Pat Fryermuth the line there? Oh, that one's so tough, too, because I like, I just think generally highly of Fryermuth, even though in fantasy he's been a nightmare. Uh, yeah. I'd probably stick with Ingram <laughs> between the two. Okay. But All right. uh, I'd probably leave in Ridley, and I'd, I'd also probably leave in Kirk. Kirk is the one who has the easiest matchup of the receivers. It, it, it might still be difficult relatively, but he against – like, Alante T- Taylor doesn't seem like he's that much of a slot natural corner, but they've been playing him there anyway. So uh, we'll see if Kirk can get the better of him. All right. And then on the Saints side, we, we saw some news come across – uh, th- this morning uh, of note uh, that Jamal Williams is going to be activated off of injured reserve. So uh, based on the, the Camara suspension and the timing of Jamal Williams's injury, we haven't had to really answer the question of who's the guy. Um, it, it, I mean, I, I think we know that it's Camara, but just how much is uh, Williams going to be a, the proverbial thorn uh, in his side? And obviously for, for uh, the Camara fantasy managers out there, Kamara has not been overly efficient thus far, but he's really gotten a ton of work. But do you see this instance being something where Jamal Williams takes some work off of his plate, but we see Kamara make up for it with a boost in his efficiency? Or is this something where Kamara's touches go down and he's still like a 3.8 yards per carry, three and a half yards per catch guy? This is a tough one for me, John, because I'm not the most impartial Jamal Williams observer. Like I, I just happen to believe he's quite bad. Uh, of course, I had had a bit of a bit of a skirmish with his mother on, on Twitter back in the day. So I've always had an in the pre-draft process. The Williams, the Williams family has has been kind of like an enemy of mine for a long time, and. Uh, no, I'm just joking. She, she, she's. I'm, I'm sure a nice lady, but she was, she was going around uh, owning people who, who. Uh, in my case, I didn't know how old he was. I thought he was a year older than he was, and she, she told me I was a, you know, a, f- a fraud. And she, she was right. She, uh, I was, I was the one who was factually wrong on it. Uh, 
most but of these I, people, I, you guys are 30 years old. It's not your fault. Yeah, he literally enrolled there. He was 17 his freshman year. It was very strange. Uh, so, yeah, they got a bunch of like 27 year olds and then 17 year old Jamal Williams on the team. Uh, anyway, uh, I happen to think Jamal Williams is pretty much awful from scrimmage. If he does something useful, then I guess it's that he uh, is a good blocker blitz pickup or something like that. I, I feel like a team could do a lot better pretty easily. So uh, the question of what the Saints should do, in my opinion, is basically give Williams almost nothing or whatever they do give him be not an not a single play, not a single touch more than what they were budgeting for Kendra Miller. And as I see it, I mean, Kendra Miller may well be worse in pass protection. I have no idea. I guess he probably is being an underclassman rookie. But from scrimmage there's no question that Kendra Miller is better than Jamal it's it's a low bar you don't have to be very good from scrimmage to easily be better than Jamal Williams from scrimmage so if the Saints want to give him something going back to what the sh- they should do again it should be give him maybe some of those Camara carries that are very low expectation low utility carries like if you're running on a if, if it's second and one and you're running the ball maybe give Jamal Williams that carry you know mm-hmm. if he, he can get a yard I'll give him that but if you need four yards, don't give Jamal Williams the ball. That's a bad idea. It always has been. And it's it's not getting any better now that he's kind of racking up some mileage and age. So uh, I, I think that Kamara on the should question would be fine. Uh, there is, I guess, some risk of the Saints deciding like, oh, but we got to get our money's worth out of Williams. Let's let's put him out there for 30 snaps. And if they do that, they won't like the results. So this uh, hmm. this introduces uh, an annoying, but it's just like hard to trust Pete Carmichael and in, in this Saints like offensive scheme. So like I, I feel like d- despite your uh, you know factual points on, on Jamal Williams and his utility, I feel like we're still going to see it's more a of stupid him than, team. than we would like. Yeah, I mean it's it's it is totally possible. It's just uh, that much that much more reason to pick both defenses in showdown. There it is. Um, and then uh, on the Camara angle, uh, I did see that his total yardage prop sitting at 83 and a half. Do you have a side there? <laughs> um, man, I'm trying to think of how many carries and catches he'd need to even get there. And I'm, it's like 18 carries and three catches. Right. Right. And I, I don't know, man. Um, he'd need a long run, you know, I don't think he's going to grind out that kind of yardage The the Jags defense seems like it's taken a step forward. I don't know if it was like uh, the, the what is it, Mike called. I always mix up the defensive coordinator for the Jags and their old GM who, who was awful. Uh, but the defensive coordinator seems pretty good. I'm going to just hope his name is Mike. Uh, Mike Caldwell. He maybe has a pretty ambitious defensive scheme that kind of like took them a year or more to really get the rhythm down. And maybe the Jags defense being so good this year is because they've kind of really got it down pat. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think... Uh, I don't know. Um, I'd take the under on Kamara because it, it's just it does seem like the Jags defense is at another level right now than they were. And if I had previously been assuming the Jags would continue to be bad, uh, be bad on the personnel basis, but it seems like uh, they've kind of turned a corner, and I have to kind of like readjust my my sort of like assumed baseline of that defense. And I don't know if, particularly with the Saints' offensive line annihilated, I don't know if I can bank on Kamara getting there. Yeah, I I can't either. So when I saw that number, I I I thought that the under would would be the play. I like I'm the under. Even, I'm not even like frustrated with with Kamara from a fantasy perspective so far this season, just because he's been getting so much work since since coming back from the suspension. But um, uh, 
you'd have to be really looking through it uh, through black and gold glasses to say that he's looked particularly good. He's just for fantasy reasons, he's been, you know, someone that gets a, a ton of volume, but um, still not overly explosive with those opportunities. Um, let's hit a quick trade question from our guy, Greg, and then get on over to Sunday. Greg is, uh, he's off to a rough start this year. He's own six. So we, we got to help him out. Would you trade away CD Lamb and Brian Robinson for Kenneth Walker and George Pickens? I, that's tough. I kind of, I, let me do, John, uh, let me do the, the, the stupid reflexive answer before I think about it too much. Yes. Very good. Where, where were you leaning? Yes, as well, because okay. I, I'm I'm totally eating my words on Kenneth Walker. I'm getting very disillusioned with all the Zach Charbonnet that I have. Um, not that I that my stance on Charbonnet is any different uh, as a talent, but Kenneth Walker's like clearly the guy in Seattle, and he's running extremely well. Uh, yeah, I still. I do think that Walker, I mean, is doing a good job, but uh, I, th- I think I'm a little, I'm a little concerned about Charbonnet at some point. My issue here is I, I don't expect Brian Robinson to hold on to the job as the year goes along. And I don't know if we can bank on CD lamb being the player that we thought he would be going into this year, the player that he was last year, or, you know, all the years really before this, I'm worried that Dallas only will look good against other, uh, against really bad teams, ta- teams with like major talent disadvantages to them. And uh, I, I'm worried we're not going to get what we should have gotten with Lamb, which which to me, uh, he's still well ahead of Pickens for me. But the distance between Robinson and Walker for me is much greater than whatever distance is between Lamb and Pickens for me. Yeah, I think you're you're getting the best fantasy asset in this trade by getting Kenneth Walker, um, because I am dubious on CD Lamb the, the rest of the way with, with you know, the all the coaches fault. yeah yeah no completely it's it's not a, a talent thing with lamb obviously but um uh, you know we we got to factor in what's going on in the real world and yeah it, it's not been super pretty uh when it comes to that cowboys offense um you know even when they scored 40 points a lot of it was defense and special teams so um i i think greg if i'm you uh press yes might as well uh, on, shake it up yeah yeah, exactly. Uh, bad, bad locker room vibes. Got to get, got to get a, a, a fresh reset there. Uh, before we get on over to the Sunday games, we got a message from our friends over at Circa. Get ready for the ultimate big game parties at Circa Resort and Casino. Super Bowl Sunday is in Las Vegas this year. Watch the big game poolside at Stadium Swim's big game viewing party. Massive screen, booming game sound, and a view of the pyrotechnic and visual effects throughout the game. Snag the best seat in the sun with daybeds, poolside boxes, cabanas, and more. Or touchdown at the world's largest sports book, Circus Sports, for the big game bash. Three stories of football glory featuring a 78 million pixel screen. That's uh, that's several million more pixels than, than what I have on, on my TV uh, here at the, at the condo. Book your seat with a variety of reservation options, including bottle service, open bar, stadium-style food, and more. Don't miss these legendary viewing experiences on February 11th. The big game parties only at Circa Resort and Casino. Reserve today at CircaLasVegas.com. Again, that's CircaLasVegas.com. We also got a message from our friends over at Blue Wire. This Rotowire podcast is brought to you by my favorite meal kit, Factor. 
I gave Factor a try, and I can tell you firsthand, eating better is easy with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every meal arrives fresh, not frozen, and they're chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. Every week, you'll have over 35 different options to choose from, and there's something for every diet, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto, and there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. So what are you waiting for? Get started today and get after those wellness goals. One of my favorite things about Factor is the convenience. We're talking meals that are good to go in two minutes or less. You can fuel up fast with Factor's restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat wherever you are. There's no prep, there's no mess, no cooking, no cleanup, none of that. It's perfect if you have a busy lifestyle and you can't dedicate an hour plus each day to preparing lunch or preparing dinner. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Factor also offers options for every meal. Pancakes, smoothies, you name it. Discover a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, dinner, whatever you need, Factor has it. Factor is also tailored to your schedule, so you can get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals each week. Plus, you could pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. We've done the math. We've run the numbers over here. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be both nutritious and delicious. Head over to factormeals.com slash rotowire50 and use the code rotowire50. That'll get you 50% off your order. That's code rotowire50 at factormeals.com slash rotowire50 to get 50% off today. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Then we're on to Sunday. Lions, Ravens, Lions going into Charm City as three-point underdogs. A little bit surprised on, on that one. The Ravens coming off the win in London. No bye week for them. There, there's as much later in the season. I believe it's week 13. So. Uh, we, we saw the Jaguars be, be able to manage well uh, coming back from London, Buffalo, less so last week. Um, but are you surprised by, by the line here? Yeah, I, uh, I still don't think the Lions are very good, but the, you know, they, they have to be something like a top, I don't know, eight team. And 
even if the league is so awful this year and even if it's the main reason why they still are up there and the Ravens still are not clearly there to me uh maybe injuries are something of an excuse but I just uh I don't have that much faith in the Ravens defense not nearly as much as I have been accustomed to you know my my life of knowing who the Ravens are and always being able to bank on really good defense it's just kind of not really there anymore especially when you look at a case like the Lions offense and you know uh I certainly was wrong about golf uh, against the Buccaneers last week. I thought the Buccaneers had the personnel bowls, you know, sometimes a good game planner. I thought they would have enough to uh, give Jared Goff one of his customary road game outcomes, but it, 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 I was certainly wrong about that. But if you watch that game, Goff didn't have to make any high difficulty. He made he had a couple good throws. Funny. One of his best throws was actually dropped by Laporta early in the game and that's one of like two or three throws of that quality that Goff ever makes. And the rest of the time, Bulls in the Buccaneers defense just got pants. Like Ben Johnson just had them in the sharpshooter right away. And when you watch Goff play, it's it's a lot like watching Brock Purdy play a lot of the time where it's just these guys get to play on a lower difficulty level than other quarterbacks. And that's that's a structural explanation for it. But the structure exists you know and it 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 goes forward into to the matchups and if you're the ravens you can't really touch jared goff necessarily so how are you going to get him out of that t-ball situation that he's been playing in all year their offensive line is ready to to hold up at the point of attack they don't have a great corner they don't have great uh secondary personnel in general so i don't see where the ravens get to express an advantage other than just the the home field whatever it amounts to and short of bad weather i just don't know whether that matters either because it's like normally passing games suffer uh normally jared goff uh passing production would suffer going outside like this for reasons of just kind of like you know wind rain gravity all that and that doesn't really come up when you're talking the sort of really structured play action looks where it's just like he basically has to look at two or three spots on a very comfortable kind of like flow chart progression from an offensive line that's giving them five yards of space in every direction. That's, that's a scenario where any quarterback can play even in outdoors conditions, even if they're not that good outdoors relative to in, in a dome setting. So I, I think uh, if a team like D- Tampa Bay at home can't do anything to golf, then I don't see why the Ravens would be able to either. And the, the Ravens offense, I mean, uh, they're tough for me. Cause I, I certainly still have high expectations for them, but, it's been a little clunky and the lions defense is certainly well coached. I still think the lions personnel is kind of trash in the secondary, but they're really well coached by Aaron Glenn. And as much as Ben Johnson gets a lot of hype deservedly. So Aaron Glenn deserves a lot more credit than he gets to that Detroit defense is overachieving constantly. And uh, it's, it's because of him. So the Ravens could get out coached on both sides. I kind of expect them to, and they don't have a clear personnel advantage other than lamar jackson and as we've seen john quarterbacks don't matter what matters mm-hmm. <laughs> is the structure of the rest of the team uh that's that that is not actually a that's not a joke that i'm saying it's actually true so uh yeah i i, I still doubt the lions in terms of like their them as like a playoff team but it seems to me that it's lamar jackson versus the lions uh well i guess I don't know. I, I might have a, a higher esteem for, for the Ravens defense uh, th- this year. Uh, maybe, maybe it'll be a able to, to get home. 
linebacker's good. Um, Clowney's having a, a totally resurgent year, um, so that's been that's been nice. Kind of an unexpected uh, development there, but they still don't have an overly lively pass rush. I mean, just Justin Madbike seems like he's like the main guy that that gets um, after the quarterback, and you can't really rely on that. Not against uh, this line's offensive line, but maybe they'll be able to. <laughs> He was sick last week too. Um, I know, and I, I I don't know why he has bounced around the way he has. I feel I don't I don't know much about linebacker, and I don't pay much attention to him. But I feel like Kyle Van Noy is one of those guys who is always just like making some kind of ridiculous play that usually is annoying because I you know he's usually with the Patriots and all that. But uh, with the with the Ravens, I find him more likable. Yeah, as do I. Uh, no, no question about that. Um, but um, be, beyond. Beyond that, for, for fantasy, what do you make of the Lions' backfield for this weekend with, with Dave Montgomery being out and them just kind of seemingly uh, hating their, their first uh, round pick? Is is he supposed to be playing? I, I missed the latest on Jameer Gibbs. I'm, I'm guessing that, that he's in line, but I will have that uh, for Limited Wednesday, in okay. He should, he should be in. I don't know what to make of like what percentage healthy he'll be. I am a little bit more pessimistic of Gibbs at this point than I certainly expected to be, but I, I worry that Ben Johnson, as good as he is, I don't think he actually has a structural accommodation in mind for Gibbs. Like, I don't know if he can do it. I don't know if you gave uh, Johnson Alvin Kamara. I don't know if he would know how to use him the way Sean Payton did. I don't know if the, I don't know if his like ideological inclinations cut aside that sort of function that, that you need to, to get Gibbs going like Eckler or Kamara or whatever. So um, if Ben Johnson just needs, just doesn't know what a running back can do other than what David Montgomery and Jamal Williams types do, which is to say, I guess, just leverage that offensive line advantage with a power volume run game, then I don't know why he ever would like Gibbs. And I could actually imagine him preferring a bunch of other crap running backs instead because it is a low, it's like, it's a, it's not a low value return for the Lions, but it doesn't require much talent at running back from scrimmage to leverage that kind of offensive line, particularly if you're talking just dives and, and like slightly off tackle runs from, from uh, under center and stuff. I don't know. Um, I, I know that Craig Reynolds cannot play relative to Gibbs. I know that Gibbs is easily, easily more talented than uh, Reynolds or whoever else they might call up, but who are they? Who are even the alternatives? Like I don't know who their practice squad yeah, well, running backs are. Right, exactly. Because because Donovan Knight's on injured reserve, and I think he might be done right. for the year. He is, yeah. So, and I'm I'm trying to pull up their practice squad section of their roster right now, and uh, let's see. So they do not have. Okay, they have Muhammad Ibrahim. I don't know. Is he healthy even? Uh, oh, and, never, you, you never really Zico? know with him. Oh my God! How do you have oh, a wow. divine is Zigbo in 2023? Okay, uh, yeah. So if it's if it's, I'll say this: even if Ben Johnson personally hates Jameer Gibbs and also doesn't like Jameer Gibbs as far as his his uh, football abilities go, Gibbs would still get the first, second, and third nod over Divine Zigbo if that's the alternative. All right, so that's uh, not not the sunniest of outlooks for for their run maybe I should have but... picked the Ravens. I don't know. I, I I still pick the lines, I guess, but if if they really can't use Gibbs here, they they're they're just like going nowhere. They blew it. You can't you can't screw up that pick. In addition to the way that it looks like they're screwing up the Williams pick, I think you might might even be able to argue that even if Gibbs 
gets volume here, this is a bad matchup for for him. You know, yeah. with, with with that Ravens linebacking core being able to to potentially keep up, or you know, if they drop down a safety to to cover Gibbs, which is probably the the likely thing. Uh, you know, Kyle Hamilton's having a very strong season. He's to clean up the dirty hits though. Not, Cheap not shots. Those. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's uh, yeah. that was that was kind of psycho of him. That was that was really bad on on Sunday, but. Um, I, I think that there's a chance that, again, even if Gibbs uh, gets the role that all of his investors have been hoping for, that it doesn't end up with a, a ton of returns. Um, anything, uh, general comments on, on how this Ravens offense will function against the the overachieving Lions defense? Yeah, it's tough for me. Uh, I, I am not at the moment convinced Munkin is as good of an offensive coordinator as Aaron Glenn is a de- defensive coordinator. So, you know, even even that Browns game where Lamar did so good and the Ravens did so good, that was as close to a kind of like Brock Purdy, Jared Goff setup that Lamar will ever see in a game. He only had to throw it 19 times. Uh, The Browns were just kind of, you know, giving up short fields, screwing up on offense. So it is a it's a good thing. It's a good indicator for the Ravens offense that they did as well as they did against the Browns. But I'm not at all convinced they could do it a second or third time if they played them two more times. And aside from that, everything's been kind of a slog with the Ravens. Like, like Lamar's completion percentage is way up, but they're just grinding out everything. It's like, why is it so hard to get a big play? No one but Lamar Jackson is giving them a big play. Why can't we get Keaton Mitchell on the field? Anyway, uh, I, I, I think uh, it, it's, it's hard for me to see sort of like Mark Andrews having one of his big games, which, you know, he's kind of due. He, he's, he doesn't stay down forever. Short of another Andrews blow up, it's like, where's the yardage going to come from from this receiving group? I don't see it. And I know that Flowers is getting a lot of usage, but they need more people to step up and they can't bank on Flowers ever carrying the passing game the way Andrews has over the past couple of years, in my opinion. So I'm skeptical. Uh, I would never want to bet against Lamar. Don't want to bet against Lamar at home when he's playing Jared Goff. But I just that offensive line advantage in Detroit is just so massive relative to what Lamar is going to deal with. And it's like, I, I just, I, I, I think Lamar probably grinds it out a little bit, but I don't know if the points are going to be there. Yeah. The, the, uh, the big uh, discussion point on Ravens Twitter this week has been the, the really stark contrast between their, their first half efficiency and their second half efficiency. And, and there are a lot of, How does that go? Um, well, that, they start hot and then they just kind of sit. Uh, I mean, where would you half. say they're? Uh, what are they failing to do, or what are they changing something? Well, it, it doesn't seem like that. I mean, the the players were all saying that basically, like we we need to just keep our foot on the gas and not let up. Um, but I do wonder if teams are are having an easy time adjusting to Munkin's offense at halftime. Yeah, I uh, I didn't pay close enough attention to notice what they do differently in the second half. But if it's if it's an issue of doing the same thing as the first and not getting as good of results, then yeah, they need to adjust. If it's if it's them doing a self inflicted thing, then uh, I guess that would be easy enough to clear up. But man, I I really think they need to get Mitchell involved. Man, they 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 have no vertical explosiveness. Their only vertical explosiveness is Zay Flowers, and it's like he's he's better off in the slot being five nine. You got to make this. You got to make the safeties turn around once in a while, you know. Yeah, agreed. Uh, there, there needs to be a, uh, more verticality there, and they're not even getting the most out of Jones in in that or Flowers. I'm sorry, uh, in that facet of the game. Uh, so I'm expecting the Ravens to lose this one, but 
you know, crazier things have happened. The Ravens do tend to be good at home, and Lamar does have a, a good record against NFC teams. But uh, I think that one of those losses was against the Giants last year, so maybe that's uh, that's relying too much on on ancient history. Um, let's go to the game of the week, Mario. That's Raiders Bears. Raiders <laughs> three point favorites in this one. Uh, Jimmy G banged up on the Raiders side of things, and uh, Justin Fields very banged up on the uh, on the Chicago side of this. So we're going to see some, some Tyson Bajent, uh, <laughs> secret Bajent man um, in this one. Uh, I, you know, first of all, Tyson Bajent uh, got on my radar during I, I think the combine or maybe maybe a Senior Bowl week where uh, it, it was revealed that his dad was a uh, world champion arm wrestler. Okay. And and so I, I, you know, I thought if nothing else, Bajan should be able to hang on to the ball. Uh, I think it was his first drop back last week that he fumbled. Um, so that's out the window. And if you can't do that, then I'm out on this guy. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know much about him, honestly, but just looking at his prospect profile at a glance, it's seems kind of like a throwaway prospect to me, very much a, a practice squatter type. Uh, I, I don't know if a lot of other teams would have picked him to be a backup quarterback on their team. I think they would have tried to put him on the practice squad or have a veteran backup somebody. Uh, I think there's a lot of reason to expect Bajan to struggle if he had been playing for any team, you know, short of short of just like a Detroit kind of setup where he has all day to throw. I think Bajan would struggle on any offense. And if it's the bears that we're talking about, uh, I mean, it might not, it wouldn't all be his fault, but it might get kind of comically bad. It might get memorably bad. And I, I even against a crap Raiders defense, I mean, it, it, it just doesn't matter. So I, I don't know who to pick with that said, you know, no, no Jimmy G could make the Raiders quite bad. They're already a mess as uh, everyone knows. And, and Devonte Adams kind of grumbling vocally. Now we'll see how awkward and, and painful it can get to, to, to be on a Josh McDaniels, you know, Raiders team. And if, if it's, if it's, uh, if it's such that it lets you lose to the bears with Tyson Bajent, it's, uh, it's a pretty grim subject, John. It's, it's all, it's all pretty bleak left and right. So I guess you like a player like Josh Jacobs, whoever's getting carries for the bears. I'll assume it's Roshan Johnson. I'll assume also, uh, he's not going to do a whole lot, but it, it kind of sucks if so, because I can't even really criticize Roshan Johnson for struggling in a game where Tyson Bajant is his quarterback. So uh, could be pretty awful on both sides, but I guess I would lean Raiders just because I would easily pick Hoyer over Bajant. Uh, I'd easily take McConnell over Bajant, et cetera. Yeah, I would too. Um, I, I think the Raiders get this done. Uh, the over-under is uh, 37 and a half, so it, it looks – uh, not too dissimilar, Mario, from a, a game that would be happening in your backyard uh, you know, with uh, Wisconsin, Iowa th- this past weekend. Like that—that's the kind of ugliness that that we're expecting in this Iowa. One. I, that's exactly what it's like. Iowa football offense. Yep. Which is yep. Uh, but <laughs> um, I, I think I'll take the Raiders here. I think that you know we have a chance to see like a defensive player almost like single-handedly win a game. Like I think Max Crosby might oh my God. like just ha- have like the single most like de- defensively impactful game as an edge rusher since like Lawrence Taylor. Like this it's, it should be 
insane what what he does on, on Sunday, and I think that that alone is is going to be enough to to get it done. Um, I, I guess the the last question here for me with the bleak outlook for the Chicago passing game. Do you bench DJ Moore this week? Not after that one season at Maryland, John. Right answer. You never give up on him. <laughs> you can't do not it. even if CJ Brown's a quarterback. What, what, the point you bench DJ Moore is not only when they go to a linebacker as the fourth quarterback, it's it's when <laughs> it's when they go to the second string linebacker as the fifth quarterback. That's when you bench him. Yeah, right. So we're, we're not quite there that ways yet. to go. Yep. So still some time. Yeah. But do, do yourself a favor and, and look at some of the old DJ Moore Maryland box scores. They all looked pretty much like his game against Washington a couple weeks ago, where he has nine catches for 180 yards. And then uh, the, the next leading receiver for Maryland is like Tavon Jacobs, three catches for 21 yards. And yeah. that, that is pretty much how More that went here. Yeah. Fun times, fun times that was. Um, Moving on, I can't even call this one a pile cleanser, Mario. We got Browns going to Indianapolis as two-and-a-half-point favorites. It doesn't look like Deshaun Watson is going to play this week. It doesn't seem like anytime soon, really. Uh, can, Cleveland get, can Cleveland get it done uh, in this spot? You know, battle of the of the backup quarterbacks. Like, is this a spot where when Minshew – is an underdog at home. Maybe you consider him a little bit more. Is this Browns defense just going to be good enough to, uh, to kind of seal it in ugly fashion. I was going to say, I still think this is true. I was going to say though, PJ Walker did better than I expected him to last week. And uh, I I looked again at his numbers, 18 of 34 for 192 and two interceptions. It's like, Oh, I guess, I guess I didn't realize it was that bad, but then I remembered, Oh yes, PJ Walker is though, so that still is better than I expected him to do. Right. However, uh, it's not, you know, clearing the bar of expectation for PJ Walker isn't enough to put a team in a realistic state to win a football game. So, given given that potential limitation at quarterback, by the way, I do think the the UCLA guy is clearly better. I, I think that was just a benching him for PJ Walker was kind of. Uh, almost like a scapegoating move as much as it was like a strategic one, because it's like Stefanski made the move because he knew like, ah, conventional reasoning. They can't get mad at me if I use conventional. So, you know, so-called responsible reasoning of go with the veteran over the rookie. Uh, He, he, he thought that, and he might've been right to assume that he, he bought himself a little bit of room by, by doing that kind of like good conventional management stuff. But PJ Walker is worse than Dorian Thompson Robinson. And, yeah, Gardner Minshew's a lot better than certainly Walker, maybe maybe both of them, I guess, likely too. So substandard quarterback or not, Minshew is the best one in this game and maybe by a good distance. So Brown's defense being super legit, I, I don't know. Maybe this is another situation where they end up kind of like against the Ravens where like maybe maybe they would have got Minshew if he had to throw it 40 times, but maybe he's only going to need to throw it 27 times and maybe half of those will be in the red zone or something. I don't know. So it's it's hard for me to see how the Browns get it done exactly. Uh, I don't want to assume a whole lot for the Colts, but I I just think that that's I think Stefanski's going to get safely outcoached by Steichen, and uh, yeah, even as bad as Minshew is, it just cannot be as bad as Walker. Yeah, I, I think Indianapolis will have the better quarterback play here. I, I think. I guess based on what we saw last week, although I think San Francisco 
played into into Cleveland's hands a, a little bit as well. But uh, it's hard to see Cleveland win last week against the best team in the league and not think that they can go into Indianapolis and, and beat them with Gardner. That's okay. I mean, the, the, the 49ers lost to the bears last year. I mean, I know it was a mm-hmm. tsunami, but it's like that Kyle Shanahan getting PTSD from that is probably like the moment he decided to just get rid of Trey Lance as if it was like he, he brought this, the storm upon them or whatever. Uh, there, there's weird cases of a lot of times some of the worst teams in the leagues beating uh league beating one of the best teams in the league going back a, a long time. Uh, don't, don't ask me why I know this, but I remember like one thing was the, is either the 95 or the 93 Cowboys lost to the Browns and the Browns were one of the worst teams for, for like many decades back at the time. And uh, Dallas, those 93 and 95 Dallas won the Super Bowl. So stuff like that happens. I, I think uh, the Colts being a well-coached, or, you know, I'm assuming they're a well-coached team playing at home, having the quarterback advantage. I think it's just, um, there's a lot working against Cleveland, you know? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think that's fair. Um, you know, them going into this game, sans Nick Chubb, sans Deshaun Watson, uh, that's that's a brutal setup. Amari Cooper, I thought, looked like Superman last week. Like, it, his ability to have a good game with with P.J. Walker uh, stung. Uh, he was awesome with Brissett last year too. Yeah. Like, what, he, how did you how did you get better with worse quarterbacks than you had in Dallas and and uh, whatever the Raiders wherever they were? I, I guess like maybe a competent quarterback sees the entire field, whereas uh, you know a quarterback. Oh yes, what, the Todd like Bauman thing. Right, it's, it's Todd Bauman like chucking it at Randy Moss every play thing. See, it, I mean, it makes sense it, it, it to a degree. So maybe Cooper has a, another strong game here, but. Otherwise, I mean, you're starting corners almost out of necessity. Yeah, the corners are not great there in Indianapolis. Um, any thoughts on Jonathan Taylor th- this week? He, you know, he's, we saw him get 32 snaps, which was super encouraging last week, 13 touches, but, you know, not a ton of yardage off of that, just 40 combined yards on, on those um, 13 touches. Um, it got more difficult to- without Richardson. I mean, with, with Minshew in, Part of the problem here is that the Browns defense just in general looks really good, but I think you can, it was a last week, actually the Jags kind of showed us how it's done. You kind of just sit back uh, playing almost like a Brandon Staley kind of defense where you have your corners just sit back like eight yards and you leave Minshew with basically nothing except checkdowns at that point and like short checkdowns because he doesn't, he can't really rip like a five yard curl, even, you know, it's like he, to make even like a, a throw on something of seven or eight yards of a curl sort of structure, that corner, you just sit them where that route would break a little bit back. And you just make it that as simple as like, if you throw further than five yards, we're just jumping on it. And we're going to bet that you can't throw much further than that. And with Minshew, it's true. It's like he, he can get it to a guy like Chark in Jacksonville if you're leaving that wide open. But if you just play too high against them and have your corners like eight yards off the line, you you just you give your defense the freedom to just play you know like see ball get ball crash downward every play and Minshew can't really do anything about it so Taylor ends up catching some of that you know fallout uh, the run game in general of, of the Colts will and he can make a big play but it, it's going to have to specifically be in the form of like uh you know just like he breaks like one tackle and then even though there's three or four guys ready to pounce on him he barely runs away from them all it's it's going to be a harrowing kind of uh, escape scenario at best yeah so that that's 
uh, the, those who invested the the early round pick on on Taylor, it's you know we're we're gonna have to wait another week for for the breakout. If you got him uh, late in the summer in like the fourth or the fifth, uh, I think you you still probably are starting him. But uh, you know your expectations are more like flex, I, I suppose for for this week. Um, let's hit Bills Patriots. Uh, Bills eight and a half or nine point favorites, depending on where you look. They looked very sluggish last week against. The Giants, Giants uh, really shot themselves in the foot at the end of the first half. There, that was bad. Yes, that game was that game sucked. Like that game was uh, <laughs> like you know you had the 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 scary injury uh, to Damian Harris, and then then you have like that that fight that that breaks out near the goal line at one point. I mean, it's just like what Bills? What are you doing? Like what? Wh- why are you playing with your food to this extent with the freaking New York Football Giants? I don't know if they were um, playing with their food. I, like maybe they kind of uh, sleptwalked into the game, be it for London reasons or just kind of saying, oh, it's the stupid Giants. Who cares? That stuff, I guess, can happen. But John, my, my, I, well, you were, lo- you were pretty low on the Bills too. So I, I'm not trying to like say this is my idea, but like part of why I was so concerned about the, the, the Bills offense, you know, at least in their ability to take a step forward is that it's just difficult to budget the the Josh Allen expected game unless Stefan Diggs does 120 yards or more or something like that. And that can be done, especially when they get a favorable matchup, like the, the dolphins or whatever, someone who can, who digs can beat up and down the field. Hey, it's a, it's Josh Allen time, you know, get Diggs to 120 or 150 or something. The defense starts rolling everything his way. You get Gabe Davis going. Somebody else does Dawson Knox gets uncovered off the play action. You know, that's one of our two, of two of our four or five touchdowns. That stuff always is on the table when Diggs does that. But if he does even a little bit less, the whole thing can fall apart because it's it just starts in the form of like you you, you go a three and out here and there that you hadn't in the in the past couple games because Diggs in those cases got the first down, more likely like you know twenty or thirty yards, something like that. And Josh Allen, you know, once he gets the defense dislodged a little bit, he can get loose more as a runner too. Everything starts to look the way Josh Allen wants it to in those cases but when it's a thir- three and out instead or it's you know Diggs goes into the the second half with only 35 yards he's probably doing it on something like seven or eight targets and it's that those those passes that don't land are just point blank where they where the whole offense just falls apart it just it, it just it, it needs them to make those plays or else everything else can't pick up the slack and I think they make it harder on themselves than they need to by by some structural choices they make but if they keep putting Gabe Davis running routes that someone, you know, who who runs two tenths of a second faster than the 40 should be running instead. They keep giving him those. They keep making Deontay Hardy just sit in the flats like he's some kind of a like they're like they're going to do a flea flicker thing with him or something like don't don't have Gabe Davis running 40 yards and have Deontay Hardy sitting next to Josh Allen and like almost in the pocket. Have Hardy run the route that Davis does. Have Davis run a slant, anything, anything else. I don't care. And they just, they, they make it so hard on themselves by insisting on running things that way. And I, I don't know whether, you know, this matchup is one of them that it's, it's especially concerning for a, uh, it's, it's, you know, the Patriots being so awful on offense, having so many injuries on defense, maybe Diggs should be just fine here. Uh, I know JC Jackson has good splits in the past against him, but whatever we'll see. We'll see about that patellar tendon tear. Uh, I doubt that JC Jackson has one of his vintage games against Diggs here and anything short of no. that. I don't see how it could possibly save the Patriots. No, I, I think the Patriots 
cap out at like 10 points here on offense. Um, if they score more than that, it's likely off of a pick six or, or something like that. Um, I, I just don't really envision that the Patriots being able to move the ball. Um, and I, I think that this is like a, even though the spread is high, I think this is a good buy low opportunity on, on the bills. I, I think there are a lot of reasons and some of them will continue on uh, the, the struggles from last week, but some of them can be explained away by coming back from London and probably just like overlooking the, the opponent a little bit. I don't think that that happens here. I think that the bills take care of business. Uh, Nick Whalen, our guy had this really great stat um, from a couple weeks ago where it's like of Josh Allen's wins in the league, like 80% of them have come by seven or more points. So like when they win, that sounds right. they, t- they tend to win big. Yeah. That's why I make that. That makes sense to me too. About the, again, like my crank theory about digs is because he, if he's going over 130, it's like that they, it's they're firing, you know, they're, they're just, they're, they're shooting down everything they want to. Uh, if digs falls bo- below it, it's like nothing goes. It's either they don't go or they go crazy. Yep. And I think that this, even against new England, you can slow things down. Like I, I think that they, they kind of go crazy here. I think that they, uh, they're next in line to dunk on the Patriots or what's left of they've them done it before old, old Billy. Yeah, they sure have. I think they relish the opportunity to do it again. Speaking of the Giants, they're playing host to the Washington Commanders this weekend. Commanders two and a half point favorites on the road. Commanders coming off of a n- nice little uh, game against uh, the Falcons this past week and the Giants, as we mentioned, uh, less so. Um, so your thoughts on on this uh, just uh, rousing matchup between the, these two juggernauts of the NFC East? Well, Giants injury report still still pretty lively let's see still no andrew thomas no john jacob jingleheimer uh center guy no <laughs> no wandale robinson no evan neal so particularly when with the giants we already saw them when they were more or less healthy it, it went a little better i guess you could say than it went against the bills but it was still pretty bad you know the dallas game that was that was about as bad as this last one I thought Tyrod Taylor did an okay job. By the way, is, is there anything new on Jones? Is he just like out? I, I, he was, I saw he was supposed to do a limited practice on uh, Wednesday. Okay. So, well, it, I'm not actually saying Daniel Jones is, is definitely worse than Tyrod Taylor, but I do think they're about equally good. And I do think Taylor played better in that game than Jones has in most games this year. But we saw what it amounted to. It's it still didn't matter with with everything so dysfunctional, and uh, I I don't know if Barkley can do as much carrying here for them. Uh, I mean, the I guess the Washington defense has to be. I, I can't tell how good the Buffalo run defense specifically is without Matt Milano, you know. And Washington, right. I can't figure out at all. The, nothing they ever do makes any sense to me, and I I am always just surprised somehow, blindsided by something. <laughs> Maybe I should assume Barkley has a better matchup here. I, I can't tell if that's the right assumption, but if it if it is, then I, that's one way for the Giants to have things turn a little bit for the better. But generally, it's hard to get past the question of like, what are they going to do about this Washington defensive line? And I just don't know what what this Giants pass blocking can do. I mean, you got Justin Pugh, uh, like a fifth string tackle at left tackle. It's like, how are you going to deal with Montez Sweat, uh, Jonathan Allen? It's it's a lot, even if Washington is kind of stupid and mismanaged, which they are. It's just that's such a one on one thing. It's so it's so difficult to screw up if you're Washington. 
Yeah, I think so too. I like Washington in this spot. Um, let, let's. Uh, the, I think the crux of the matter for for fantasy um, has been the Washington passing game and the and the target distribution specifically. There's a, a clip going around on on Twitter this morning of Jahan Dotson like holding extra points. Um, he sees 4.8 percent of the targets last week. Pretty much everything went to McLaurin or Curtis Samuel. Um, I am kind of. Uh, Shit, you know, uh, hat in hand going back to, to Curtis Samuel. I, I had given up, but he's looked pretty good this year, in my opinion. He's good. Uh, yeah, definitely. So I, I had just kind of lost the faith, but seems like if Washington's figured one thing out on offense, it's to get a little bit of something out of him. Um, and McLaurin, I, I think, um, you know, that, that was an obvious, easy fix for Washington after underutilizing him in that game against Chicago. So I, th- I think that he continues to, you know, be be a huge presence in that passing game. But what do you do with with Dotson at this point? I would really try to bench him if possible. Uh, if you don't have anyone obviously better, don't go like, I don't know what the alternative. Don't go starting, in my opinion, like Darius Slayton over him or anybody like that. I I, I know that Slayton has literally been better to this point. It's just I'm I just can't I can't bet on that being the case uh indefinitely going forward and Dotson is still good so the the issue is especially if last week is any indication Sam Howell might be the kind of quarterback who, who can only do like half field reads or something like that like maybe he he just can't get to four maybe it's maybe mm-hmm. it's like it's like he can just in the nick of time get through three but if he has to go one two three to his right and then look back to his left it's like he's just gonna black out do something wacky so it might have been that he can go, you know, a flow chart of McLaurin Samuel. And maybe it, it would make enough sense to me that McLaurin, even if he's kind of getting telegraphed looks, can still be so just strong with his own reps that he kind of grinds it out anyway. And Curtis Samuel, too. I mean, he's he is a good player. I think he can do a lot more downfield than Washington asks him to, but it, working in the slot getting these under getting these kind of like check down looks from Howell. That's why he's getting all these targets. It's specifically Howell's failure to get to Dotson. That's causing Dotson's issues. So uh, granted, if, if McLaurin and Samuel are both healthy, I don't have an obvious theory for how Dotson gets going short of he, he faces a corner. Who's just so incredibly bad. Even Howell sees it from a mile away or the, the Washington offense deliberately putting Dotson as the early read over McLaurin. It's like they, in general, wouldn't want to do that. But if, if defenses are, are really rolling a ton of help to McLaurin, maybe they do want to do specifically that and, you know, be more like Shanahan. Like, remember what you did last week and set up the defense for, for a, a trap, basically, and, and set up that trap by freeing up Dotson in an unexpected way. That kind of stuff should work. I just don't know if it's if it's too generous to assume that Washington does it and or like too generous to assume Howell can even do that much. Right. It, it's it's frustrating when, when it comes to, to Dotson. There, there was a, a point in time late in draft season where I think I, I imagine both of us saw this at some point with the amount of drafts we do. Dotson was going over McLaurin for a brief window in, in August after McLaurin picked up that that toe injury late in the preseason. Boy, that that's looking pretty tough. And And I remember being in a salary cap draft right around that that time and in, in that particular window where I think Dotson went for more than McLaurin in, in, in that auction. I ended up 
with McLaurin, and uh, I'm glad I dodged that bullet. That, that team is doing horrible otherwise, though. I mean, it's got Nick Chubb and Josh Dobbs, so. <laughs> <laughs> I have one of those. Uh, but, yeah, it's uh, it's looking tough for Dotson. I don't know how it changes, but one thing uh, – I guess the only thing I have to cling to at this point is I don't believe his numbers. Like, I, I just don't I, – I mean, I am blaming Howell. I don't need to think about it. Yep. <sighs> Fair enough. It, it hurts my heart, but uh, yeah, it's hard to disagree with you at, at, at this stage. Um, before we get to our next game, got a question from our question from our guy Anfro. Pick two of these. This is the uh, waiver wire superstars edition. Uh, so we've got to pick two out of the following: Dante Foreman. I'm assuming that's Cortland Sutton, Zach yeah. Evans, and Latavius Murray. Well, if Roshan Johnson continues to miss practice, if, if it looks like Roshan's going to be out, then I guess Foreman Sutton for me. Otherwise, I'd probably be leaning Sutton Evans if Roshan Johnson is back. Uh, what are you thinking, John? Um, I'm I'm lightly interested in Latavius Murray actually this oh, week. Fine. I think that I think that we're going to see some some short fields for Buffalo. Um, basically, my my theory behind uh, Damian Harris. Uh, actually applied to Latavius Murray, it turns out, because James Cook, fine in certain functions, but uh, moving the pile, picking up short yardage, that's, you know, not his game. Latavius Murray seems to have that, obviously, with Harris getting hurt last week, that, you know, even more so, which is why Latavius Murray is is on uh, this radar here. So I do like Latavius Murray. Uh, Beyond that... How many snaps did he... Sorry, I just... uh... I guess I should look a little closer at, at Murray's uh, last usage before I leave. The th- so he had 12 carries on 28 snaps. Uh, I guess the one thing is if there's any more reporting to be found on the whole Evans situation too, I'm a little worried about the Rams using Gaskin, but if there's reporting from a, a reliable reporter that the Rams really going to roll with Evans as a starter, I personally would probably go with Evans, but there's probably more, there's probably like a higher floor with Murray. All right, let, let's uh, let's put a pin in that because that that's a huge storyline that we'll get to actually in in our next game. But uh, bef- so messing around with the order a little bit to get to the to that Rams backfield because that's a huge storyline for this week. But my bottom line here is Latavius Murray and Cortland Sutton, barring any uh, change in reporting uh, re- in regards to Zach Evans. So let's go ahead and zip over to that Rams Steelers game. Initially, I was completely on board with, with what you're saying about Zach Evans, but I'm totally creeped out by the uh, just flurry of moves that that the Rams have made. Yeah, uh, yeah in terms right. of the backfield, like like getting getting your guy Royce Freeman. I'm surprised you didn't <laughs> mention him first. I mean, the, yeah. the odds on 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 Royce Freeman being mentioned in this podcast and me mentioning him first had to be uh, you know astronomical. So I can't Christmas believe that, that happened shortly before Halloween. Yes, uh, but. Uh, I have no idea what's going on there. I I do still think Royce Freeman could have, uh, I don't know, like if you if you would ask me how 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 bad Royce Freeman could be at the absolute worst that I'm willing to to conceive, it's I still think he's better than Brian Robinson, but that's that's just like an example of a case study of in that case, even if that's true, it's just like, this is a case study of how uh, a, a running back can just be washed aside by circumstance and how e- easily they can be replaced if they don't have, you know, if they don't get going in some notable way, but Royce Freeman, unless he had some injury that I missed all this time, he's still an objectively very athletic running back. You know, it's like he, he hasn't been explosive in the NFL. It seems like he specifically maybe lacks acceleration or I don't know if it's, he's, 
if he got too used to getting big running lanes at Oregon and he, he's like indecisive behind the blockers, I don't, I don't know what exactly his issue is, but Royce Freeman is an athletic guy and he ran, you know, miles and miles at, at Oregon. So it's difficult for me to count him out when we're talking about such a ragtag bunch as this. And uh, even if he's been, you know, dead and gone for so long, it's like, are you really certain that Zach Evans six round pick from TCU Mississippi who rotated, you know, was lesser than a very talented freshman, but he still played behind a freshman uh, when he was at Mississippi, never took up a workhorse role for more than like one or two weeks at a time. However, if there is some sourced report, like, I don't know, some, some big enough reporter to uh, Jake Glazer, ideally, if he was just like, yeah, they're going to feed Zach Evans. Uh, that would be like, okay, I guess, I guess they're going to actually give Zach Evans the ball. And if, if we had assurance that they would give Zach Evans the ball, I wouldn't exactly want to bet against him. I mean, he's, he's a weird prospect, but he can probably run the, the if he has an issue, it, it would, it would probably be maybe two issues. He might not be able to run that much because he's only about 200 pounds and he's kind of skinny. He's, uh, you know, any problem that James Cook has with his workload limitations like would certainly apply to Evans. But then Evans doesn't really catch passes either, or at least he hasn't done it yet. So there is a lot of risk there with Evans. But if someone could say reliably that he gets 30 plus snaps, then as we've seen with Kyron Williams, or in my opinion, as, as Kyron Williams' production has shown, pretty much anyone can run in this offense right now, or at least like it, it against the teams like the Cardinals, you know, Evans could have done pretty much what Williams did in my opinion. But uh, if Williams is, or sorry, if, if, uh, if Freeman's taking 20 snaps and miles Gaskins taking 20 snaps, then Evans isn't going to do a whole lot. So uh, yeah, going back to the maybe Murray is probably safer than Evans. It's just, you need that report on Evans to, to go with him. And, I know that some people just have bad injury situations. Certainly I'm pretty much in this boat in one league. Not that I have Evans in it, but if I had Evans, I might have to start him because it's what it's like him or Algier or something. I'm still probably leaning Algier, but anyway, uh, the backfield is confusing and uh, I was a little surprised to see how much Evans was going for in fab. Yeah. I, I saw him go for about half of a budget, half of, Oh my God. So, uh, but with that said, John, I, I kind of have to embarrassingly disclose this. I thought someone would be putting about the same amount on Miles Gaskin because last week you might recall, John, uh, this is one of my Nick Chubb, J.K. Dobbins teams, of course. I assumed, oh, well, there's all this hype around Amari DiMercato. Surely I can get Keontae Ingram for just like 12% of my budget or whatever. And someone bid like 23%. So this week, John, having missed out on Keontae Ingram and whatever other nonsense in the past few weeks and really needing a running back for that entire time, I decided... I better put 30% on miles Gaskin because I thought <laughs> I thought Zach Evans would go for like 35. And I thought, well, people will know that Zach Evans has no passing down history and that miles Gaskin specifically does. So I thought, you know, just as everyone paid more for Dim Mercado last week, I thought miles Gaskin would go for something like, I thought if you had made me guess, I would have said 21%, but I bit 30 because it was running the, to the point where it's like, where am I even going to spend my fab on by the year? And I, 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 right. I missed out on Ingram of all people. Uh, the, the next highest bid, John, was like $3. No, that's, that's 3%. <laughs> so uh, I maintain that those guys just should have bid more than they did. But um, like, for instance, Chris Brooks went for like 70 last week, not 70%, 7, 7%, twice as many mm -hmm. percentage points as Gaskin's second highest bid but behind my 30%. So uh, uh, I almost want to start him just out of like belligerent you know, just like 
protest of everyone else not bidding enough, but that would probably be misguided. It's it's so weird. It, it's I, so I didn't end up with, with any Evans. So so that it, but I don't think that that really influences my my take here. It's just if Evans hadn't gotten on the field yet with with all of you know the, what's been going on to the point where you know Kyron Williams uh, just has like a, a monopoly on the on this backfield. Like it, I just that plus them adding Gaskin and, and Royce Freeman. It's enough for me to be scared off of Zach Evans, uh, you know, e- even as like a rental spot start and obviously a week where everyone is kind of jammed up, you know, uh, guys like Joe Mixon aren't going to be available because they're on by everything like that. I, it, it's boring to say this, but I think and I fear that there's just going to be no right answer when it when it comes to the, this chase. That was Arizona for, for the Yeah. So I, I yeah. think something similar could, could formulate uh, here, you know, so like the fifth it's spooky season, the film, it follows <laughs> the, the, the Cardinals have given the Rams their, their backfield problems. Um, and it, and it gives us all a big headache in the, in the fantasy community on the Pittsburgh side, they come into this one off the bye. Um, they, they won a game against Baltimore right uh, before then uh, your thoughts on, on how they project in this spot going out to LA. Well, Tomlin off the bye versus McVay seems kind of like a, a big showdown to me. You know, Tomlin just, it's, it's, I'm sure some of it is like will and getting guys just motored up to play crazy all the time. I'm sure that's part of Tomlin's success, but he has to have a good, you know, general week to week game planning sensibility about him. Like he must have good intel, must, must have good broad conceptual ideas about how to approach the game to have the kind of success that he's had. So particularly with the buy, it wouldn't be terribly shocking to me if Tomlin and the, the Steelers defense kind of did better than we expect them to against, you know, this generally bad Steelers defense against this generally good looking Rams offense, especially now that Cooper cup is back. Uh, I can imagine Tomlin stalling them a little bit, but in the end, uh, the, the picket factor. And I think, uh, was it? Raheem Morris is doing a good job with the Rams defense uh, that their corner being out Darian Kendrick being out I don't think that's going to matter a whole lot that guy runs like a four seven five or something and not not a good NFL player great Georgia Bulldog though orange bull yeah, defensive player of the game yeah he, he uh and he's, he's had a good run with the Rams here but yeah it seems like the system is what's making the corner results good for the Rams and I, I don't think his absence matters a whole lot so you know Aaron Donald uh, versus Kenny Pickett. That's that's almost like that's almost like a plus EPA for the Rams right there. Yeah, that the the, uh, the Steelers' offensive line uh, did not make the strides that that many expected coming into the season. Myself Revenge narrative. Included. Pittsburgh University. Oh, oh my gosh, that's right. They they slept on him. Maybe I don't know. They were the Steelers at that time were probably picking way in, into the twenties, uh, whereas the Rams were. 14th or something, but, uh, you know, it, far, far be it for me to assume that, that Aaron Donald can't get himself fired up for it, uh, regardless, especially as, as a revenge game narrative appreciator, such as myself. Uh, but yeah, get, give me, uh, the, the Rams in this spot as three point favorites. Um, go, going back, uh, to the one o'clock window briefly bucks, Falcons bucks, two and a half point favorites here. Yeah, I would take the Buccaneers. Uh, 
really disappointing uh, how, how much Mike Evans has struggled to hold on to the ball this year. It's, he's, he's getting open kind of just fine and still just blowing it when the ball gets there. It's bizarre to watch. Uh, I, I don't know how the Buccaneers move the ball exactly. Their run game is is not encouraging. It's uh, non-existent. Yeah, uh, it's it's a little difficult for me to see how they budget production aside from Chris Godwin in this game. Like Chris Godwin should, especially if they move him more into the slot, it should have a good game here as long as he stays away from AJ Terrell. But uh, yeah, it's 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 not that easy to see how they move the ball. Maybe I should have been maybe I should have given the, the Falcons more consideration because they can run a little bit. It's just they have to run more specifically. And we've seen a plenty of times this year where they couldn't do it. So I'll go with the Buccaneers, but uh, it's it's kind of like I'm just deferring to general pessimism about like Desmond Ritter, you know? Yeah. Uh, you know, Ritter two weeks ago against the Texans looked some version of competent. And it, it made people put away their, their Taylor Heineke signals. Um, mine's still out. I, yeah, still. I was going to say, not me, John. Not me. No, not us, man. Um, we're, we're, we're Taylor Heineke guys all the way. But um, my my general sense on the Bucks this year is they can beat teams that are equal or lesser than them. Yeah. But they're not going to beat like, you know, I think we, we've seen it in their in their losses against two of the better teams in the NFC, the Eagles and the Lions, where it's like they, they don't they don't quite have enough to, to hang with, with those types. Yeah. But the Falcons fall into the first bucket. And therefore, I do like the Buccaneers um, in this spot. Um, let's keep rolling. Uh, and then straight comment from, from me. Remember when people were get, trying to hype themselves up about Sean Tucker? That was funny. Um, I'd like to see him get more of a shot. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's 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 bleak there. They're all pretty crap. It, it's yeah. The, the Buccane- it's, it's weird how a, a team and a franchise can have a general trend the way that the Buccaneers have, where basically since they won their, their first Super Bowl um, back in 2002, uh, they are like by far the worst rushing team in the NFL, like o- over like, you know, several iterations of coaches and offenses and everything like that. They, they, just the recurring theme for the Buccaneers, they're not going to run the ball on you. Um, let's keep going here. We got the Cardinals and the Seahawks. Seahawks seven and a half point favorites at home in this one. Um, considering using the Seahawks in Survivor this week, uh, my, my Survivor co-manager, uh, also a RotoWire guy, Chris Owen, is he lives in Seattle. Considering going to the game to to you know add the correct vibes to make sure that Survivor pick comes in. Um, but beyond that, uh, I thought. I thought Seattle looked great on that opening drive last week. And then yeah. uh, they just kind of didn't do anything the rest of the way. It felt like they had the ball, the entirety of the fourth quarter in like in, th- in like scoring territory. And yet they, they just, every time it was just Gino just getting swarmed by like seven bangles. Yeah. That's always an agonizing situation where the offense just has the ball forever. It's like you're trapped in a fever dream about football or something. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I think the the story with that game to me is that over the course of the game in particular, Lou Anarumo just started stacking W's basically like he just started, you know, the, they came out with the first drive, the Seahawks, they, their talent shone through because they, they kind of had a element of surprise to their game plan. You know, the, the receiver, the running back talent that they have, Geno Smith, it was manifesting at that point. But then Lou Anarumo 
started to kind of figure things out and uh, add stressors that the Seahawks weren't subjected to in the first drive and the Seahawks couldn't counter adjust or so that's kind of how I'm seeing it. So I have a little bit of a fear of, of the Seahawks offensive coaching getting kind of outcoached by the defensive component in a lot of games. However, this probably isn't one of them. I think the Cardinals are just at too profound of a talent disadvantage on defense. Having one of the most bare bones corner rotations I've ever seen having to deal with DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. That's just a tough spot. And uh, short of, I guess, like Zayvon Collins taking the game over. I just don't know how the Cardinals do a whole lot to stress the, the Seahawks offense, but uh, the, the Cardinals have overachieved on either side of the ball plenty of times already this year. They have, I, I just, I'm wondering if it, if it's kind of running out like the, the Josh Dobbs portion of, of the season where the, you know, the Cardinals have been, uh, I've used this word a million times to describe them. Like they, they've been plucky through the, this first um, opening uh, stanza of the season. But I, I think we're, you know, with Kyler Murray getting back on the practice field Wednesday, like I, I think we, we see Dobbs one, maybe two more times. And I, I think that, you know, that all the smoke and mirrors that they needed to, to have to be, plucky in the first place early in the season. I think that that's basically run its course. And I do believe that the Seahawks um, will be able to take care of business here. Um, I do have uh, one question for you uh, based off of uh, your, your tweeting earlier this week as it pertains to one Jackson Smith in Jigba. What, so people are, people are getting a little antsy about the lack of production there. Um, and understandably so, Um do you see any signs of, of a turnaround for him this year? Uh, I don't see the signs specifically, but it could be one of those cases where you can be reasonably optimistic that the signs will show up just in not the most obvious expected way at the current time. Uh, what I mean by that is because of how young he is and because of how he produced in college and also because of how he athletically tested. I mean, I always thought though, Smith, uh, Smith and Jigba was not a realistic outside or downfield receiver. I thought the three cone time is build, you know, certainly the production at Ohio state. It was enough to believe he could be a really good slot receiver in the NFL. And they've been mostly playing him in the slot and it hasn't happened. Uh, you know, he doesn't turn 22 until mid February. So uh, he's, he's at an underclassman age. Sometimes guys like that take a while to, to really get going. I think he'll get going, but it's like, he's been just completely awful to this point in a way that he almost would have to be better in the future sample. It's like, it's difficult to be as bad twice in a row as he has been over his first 170 snaps, uh, 16 catches for 110 yards on 25 targets. The average depth oh. of target at 3.8 that needs to go up. The, even if his catch rate raises from 64 to like 70, an average depth of target of 3.8 means you're not getting open on any of your routes. We are only running screens and just like we're like throwing quick looks against big cushions against you. That's it. That's the only way you're getting the ball. And that has to go up. I, I like I, I mean that both. They need to do it to fix it. And it, it's it's almost a struggle to keep your average depth of target that low. So it almost has to go up. But uh, it's not a good start. And, you know, as a prospect, I compared Jackson Smith and Jigba to Amon Ross St. Brown. Basically, the thinking being, you know, a, only a slot receiver, but a, a very good one. And a player who can't threaten more than 10 yards downfield, but can get you 100 catches a year at a plus efficiency, something like that. And 
Amon Ross St. Brown is rookie year would not have failed this way, you know? So at the very least, I have to readjust the expectation to something less than Amon Ross St. Brown at his, at his best. And uh, I don't know what that looks like at that point. It's, it's a, as a slot receiver to be worth it, to, to be, to be considered like a star receiver as a slot specialist, you need to be about as good or better than Amon Ross St. Brown. You know, it's, it's, it's too replaceable of a function. Jackson Sloth and Jigba, folks. <laughs> I could, why did I take? I should have just said that. <laughs> That's all we need. Um, shout out to the chat. Um, let's go Packers Broncos. I don't want to spend a time on this. You don't want to spend a yeah. ton of time on this. The Who listeners cares? don't want it. Um, Packers off the bye, looking bad. The Broncos looking worse, even still. Um, yeah. What? What's? Uh, what's your read here? Well, I'd have to take the Packers, I suppose, but I, I don't really know why. Uh, it's just the, the, the Broncos seem doomed to a thing where uh, if, if Russell Wilson throws the ball more than like 30 times, they start to fall apart. And uh, yeah, is, is Jerry Judy going to be allowed to play in this game? Like what's going on? Are they still doing some kind of? I don't know. I, I think he might still be on the injury report from what Steve Smith uh, did to him last week. <laughs> yes, he is. Uh, so the Broncos have some players who should do something. It's just like no one's doing quite what they're supposed to. And the 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 issue of like Sean Payton's illegitimacy, you know, it, like it, there's, it seems like there's almost like a mutiny ready to go against him. And the only reason maybe it hasn't is because enough people also hate Russell Wilson on the team that they haven't realized that they also hate Sean Payton enough to, to take that kind of measures. I don't know. But uh, it just seems it seems like the, the Packers are at least running practices and are trying to win whereas the broncos just seem like a bunch of people who suck at their jobs and hate each other yeah so i guess i'll go with the packers yeah i'll I'll go packers here as well it's uh yeah that that's gonna be one of those games that uh if you're watching red zone on sunday they they uh only show it when everything else is at uh halftime or uh commercial break basically um even though there, there's only Oh, there's three other games going on in that window. So, yeah, there, there's no need for, for Red Zone to be showing that one really at all. Um, Chargers, Chiefs, Chiefs, five and a half point favorites. Chargers, a lot of takes about the Chargers uh, coming out of the, the Monday night game. A lot of uh, uh, referendums, referenda. I don't know. I forget what the plural is for that uh, on uh, Justin Herbert. Is he actually good? Uh, what's going on there? But they they do always play the Chiefs tough. So I'm 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 with I'm a overall skeptic of this Chargers team, not of, of Herbert in particular, but of the team. And I still think that they can cover five and a half against a, a Chiefs team that that just it's still good. It's still going to win the game, but it, it hasn't hit its full stride yet. Yeah, well, uh, the Chiefs got Mikola Hardman back, so actually they're going to cover uh, by, by, like 10, by 10 points. But, uh, I mean, it, it is kind of funny. The Chiefs have needed a Mikola Hardman all year. It's 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 funny to, to see how uh, Marquez Valdez-Scantling's one downfield trick has, has fallen flat, you know? It's like defenses know, just put a safety over the top. They're not going to go to him. They can't. And... Uh, their their complaint with Hardman was like, oh, he doesn't offer enough dimensions. He's just like a, a, a screen pass and a fly route guy. It's like, well, wish you, I, I bet you wish you could throw Marquez Valdez Scantling some screens right now. You can't even do that with him. 
So uh, I do think Hardman helps the Chiefs offense in a meaningful way. Like, I don't even mean like, oh, the floor is so low. He's got to be better. I think there's a structural benefit to having a credible downfield, an explosiveness threat that a safety has to think about. And Valdez Scantling's one dimension has, again, fallen so flat that it's like that one dimension isn't even expressing anymore. So I think they they need some downfield they need to introduce to the defense some downfield concern. And I think Hardman can meaningfully help them there though, mostly in the form of getting more cover for Kelsey and Rasheed rice, ideally. So uh, the more that the chiefs get Rasheed rice going, you know, keep just, just feed them, just see, see how far it can go because the answer I think might surprise them. You know, it's like you, you might be surprised how much you can get out of Rasheed rice before the defense has to adjust to it. And then guess what? Travis Kelsey is going to be wide open. So they got to get that going. And once they do, I think they can get into kind of like a shootout mode again, certainly matching or exceeding whatever the charges could present. But yeah, with, in the case of Herbert, I think he's clearly great quarterback. I, I, I think part of the, the reason there's so much skirmishing over quarterback rankings nowadays is because it's, it's just kind of funny how unmatched Patrick Mahomes is. It's like there was that right. kind of push a couple a year or two ago where people were like, Josh Allen might be better. Joe Burrow might be better. And it was always ridiculous, but you know, recent events have shown it to be particularly silly. And it's like, since there's, since the group behind Mahomes is so far away. And since it's like, it's comprised of Burrow, Herbert, whatever, Lamar Allen, it's like all those guys screw up way more often than Mahomes does. And so there's, there's always like this need to kind of like direct the ire of, of the, you know, the, the shifting rankings causing us like causing us, uh, cognitive dissonance with our priors it's like these guys hyperbole comes out you know and Mm -hmm. herbert's case like look let's chill out the guy went over 30 plus touchdowns in both of his first two seasons in the nfl and not because it was a particularly great offense i mean it was good offense but getting those kinds of results out of rookies and particularly taking on the volume as a passer that he did i mean they'd throw 40 times a game with him over and over and over he carried the offense and he could do it then Brandon Staley showed there, and after that first year with Staley there, uh, it seems like there's been some kind of adjustments to that game that they've been playing ever since, where it's just everybody's running like eight yard ins, except Keenan Allen. He's he's kind of doing something down the seam. Everybody else is running curls and ins, eight yards. No no need for more than that. We can we can get that third and one after Josh Palmer gets us it there, and and that's just how uh, you should run an offense apparently. And Staley's the common thread in all these cases. Even with Kellen Moore there, the offense still looks the same to me. So it does. Yeah, I I think the structure is the problem, but the structure will persist until Staley is gone. So it's easy for me to take the Chiefs here. Okay, all right, fair enough. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, I get it. I definitely get it. And then, saw Quentin Johnson get dropped in a lot of leagues this week. Makes sense. Uh, He's not featured in the offense. He's you know he's. it is one thing to point out it's generally concerning how it has gone for him. Certainly true. It's another to say like, oh, therefore he's bad, particularly when how how much would we mean that statement if he had simply gotten an on target pass when he had beat was Jordan Lewis or something uh, running looked like a corner route from the slot and Herbert got hit as he threw it and the ball fell flat. But you saw Johnston was open, you know, like if he can get open on that play, why can't we arrange it a second time all year? And I think the answer to that question is in the personnel usage of the Chargers offense. It's like the answer to why we can't get Johnston on that look a second time all year, let alone in a single game, 
even though it was probably there and even though nothing else was working is because, well, we can't run that play. We got to get Stone Smart and Trey McKitty on the field. They got to get their reps. And so you can't get Johnson the ball of your, because of your own personnel choice for these other patently awful players. It, it casts the judgment of the people calling the shots into such doubt, in my opinion, that you have to just put an asterisk by the numbers for now, uh, accepting that he's a disappointment of some form, even in the long term. You know, accepting something to the effect of like, well, Rasheed Rice is clearly the better player. You know, Jordan Ass and Zay Flowers clearly better players. But the the rush to kind of like completely cross him off for the long term is strange to me. With that said, the, the short term, Staley's still the coach. Yep. So it, it's uh, it's hard to see it getting a whole lot better. Like we, we've had enough time from the uh, Mike Williams injury for this role to work out. And they, they had the buy in week five. And there's still really nothing there for, for Johnston, unfortunately. So there, there's a you know seventh, eighth round pick uh, in your fantasy drafts down the drain. Um, let's go ahead and hit these two primetime games quickly. We've got Dolphins Eagles on paper, one of the best games we're, we're going to get this season. I'm glad that it's on national TV um, as opposed to having to watch the Giants again. Um, We've got the Eagles coming off their their first loss of the season in surprising fashion against uh, the Jets and the Dolphins. Well, they went down 14 points against the the Panthers and then scored outscored the Panthers 42 to seven. The seven points that the Panthers scored were also directly uh, from the Dolphins. So the Dolphins scored the remaining 49 points for you in that one. Uh, so that offense is still going nuts. Uh, we did get a question about Julio earlier in uh, in this chat. Um, your read on, on this game with the Eagles checking in as two and a half point favorites. It's uh, probably the best matchup of or maybe not the year. Maybe that's hyperbole, but in a long time, it's been since uh, we had one that looks this good on paper. And it seems to me that both shot, both sides should be able to threaten the other, with the other, you know, not having a whole lot of recourse. Otherwise, like, I don't really know, even from the Eagle side, their defense is legitimately good. The Dolphins one is just kind of, whatever not that great they have some some moxie or whatever but not a whole lot going for them generally the eagles are legitimately good and yet the the uh the dolphins matchup to them might be so unfavorable that the eagles look more like a mediocre defense in this game so uh if if the if the dolphins can kind of race faster than the eagles which is something that's possible i think we're seeing there are limitations to the amount of slack jalen hurts can carry and the answer is some form of a lot, of course, but it's like they're just they're putting absolutely everything on him when the running game dies at all. Uh, even Swift wasn't getting anything going last week. And it's like they continue to just waste reps with Kenneth Gainwell, like three point four yards per carry behind that offensive line. Are you crazy? What are you doing? Get the hint already. Give the ball to yeah. anyone else. I would say Rashad Penny. Sure. But figure it out you and, and also recall that this is the player you thought would be your starter and consider what else you might be wrong about you know i.e penny so they could improve things by just getting the running game going more but if they don't and if tua is not hindered by the philadelphia defense this could be a like a stressful spot for hurts the matchup is fine because those those receivers can dust those corners all day but uh hurts is gonna have to gun it out and and uh, you know, whether he can, I think, is kind of like a measure of a, a slight, you know, data, a good data point on whether the Eagles can actually see it through to the Super Bowl level. I'm on the Dolphins here. Um, I I like them in, in this spot. Lane Johnson being uh, banged up, missing practice on Wednesday that, you know, that That's takes big. some of the, um, you know, effectiveness out of that 
Philly offensive line. And I just wonder what happens to Philly when they have to play from behind. And, and uh, yeah. you know, because they've been in, in the comfortable uh, setups, save for last week, of course, where they couldn't get a, anything going on offense. But, um, you know, the, the defense being able to, to kind of put the offense in favorable spots all the time, I'm not sure that's going to be the case. And if there is a weak point on the Eagles defense, it is in the secondary. You got to deal with that track team uh, with, with uh, Tyreek Hill. And Jalen Waddle, and then of course uh, Raheem Mostert uh, when he hits the open field. So I think twenty touchdown Raheem Mostert. What a world! Insane. I love it. I, th- this is a world that I that I like as opposed to like the the Jamal Williams leading the league in rushing oh, touchdowns. Absolutely, much more aesthetically pleasing uh, with Mostert. Um, yeah, give me give me the fins here. I, I think they go up and make a bit of a statement uh, there in Philadelphia to to uh, take the over it. though. Yes, and the over is high. Whatever it is, don't care. <laughs> Just keep it rocking. It's uh, it's up to 52 at DraftKings. Uh, and then we'll round it out here. Um, Vikings playing host to the 49ers. Niners obviously also coming off their first loss of the season. Christian McCaffrey, his status up in the air. Um, so that is, you know, forced to, you know, to to a similar extent of what we saw with the Rams and and. Uh, waiver wire pickups in in fantasy this week uh the jordan mason elijah mitchell debate rages but it might be they're both good players in my opinion with mason you can play a more rugged game you can you can send him into the teeth of the defense and he'll just go you know he'll always run like his hair's on fire especially when they keep him off the bench like this he can he can you know he can allocate his energy that way Mitchell is is more capable when healthy from scrimmage, but it's we have I think reason to worry about his health and and uh, you can't give him those like human shield plays anymore like you can with Jordan Mason and in this offense the, the human shield carries can still be productive. So uh, either way, whatever the the Vikings are getting I think torched here. I know uh, th- these are like the predictions I'm most wrong about traditionally, but the the Vikings versus the 49ers to me is a complete joke. I think. The Vikings have di- layers of dysfunction that aren't always apparent due to like the the relatively easy matchups that they've seen at sometimes. But without Justin Jefferson, this offense cannot go. And if you're playing the 49ers with an offense that cannot go, how are you even going to score seven points, let alone cover it? Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm not seeing it there on the Vikings side of things. Uh, then you toss in primetime Kirk. I mean, it, it it's all working against the the Vikings in this setup, kind of regardless of whether. McCaffrey or Debo Samuel they might um, not get 180 yards they might they might they might finish the game with fewer than 200 yards on offense for for their game to be as ugly as it was against Chicago last week um that just bodes so ill uh for for them going into a game against you know probably uh the best defense in football in the the 49ers so I, I like the Niners in this spot a fair bit as well um Quick question before we get out of here, Mario. Um, Mateo ha- was wondering, could he start uh, both the Falcons running backs this week or uh, would the Algier alternative be any of uh, Pierce, uh, Miles Gaskin, or uh, I'm not sure which K. Williams that would be if it's not Kyron, who's obviously not. Sorry playing. that I need to ask this. Who's Pierce? Is this like Alec Pierce, the receiver? What? Perhaps. Uh, Who is... Okay, so if you hear if there's some report about like Miles Gaskin, Pierce is on playing, by. 
yeah so is if if gaskin is is confirmed like playing and if if we see a report that like oh he, he might get some of those passing down snaps maybe him but from that particular group i don't know if you'll find someone better than algier yeah, I'm. I don't either. And and we talked about it. Like it's not a, a particularly rosy matchup for uh, the Falcons, but even still, given those other options, it might just be best to hope and pray that the Falcons go with a uh, service academy type offense and just all of its snaps are carries uh, to to Bijan or Tyler Algier. Um, Drew wants to know uh, if he's crazy, probably. Oh. Um, but aren't we all um, going with Rasheed Rice over DJ Moore this week? I don't think it's that crazy. It's not crazy, which which it it, it like grates on my soul to have that flicker of real, <laughs> of, of realization because I'm I'm so predisposed to just kind of like sticking with the DJ Moore option. But it's a, such a weird case with Tyson Bajant, and uh, I just think I don't know Rasheed Rice. I'm high on I'm higher on Rasheed Rice than most people, so. This is a this is a this is a question that's like designed to torment me. I don't even. It's certainly yeah. not crazy. What I can't. What I have more trouble with is this figuring out what I even think about it. It's crazy that it's crazy. Very meta. Um, but you know, I I would probably start with she Rice. Um, in, okay, in now that's the permission week. I needed, I guess. Yeah, I, I I'm looking at DJ Moore on my bench and in some shower leagues even. Um, it, it's just I, I'm that out on on Beige and being able to do uh, anything. Um, but that's gonna wrap it up. For us here on the Roadwire uh, Fantasy Football Podcast, again, huge thanks to our uh, commenters in the live chat. Uh, for those who watch us live on YouTube, of course, be sure to subscribe to Rotowire's YouTube channel. Uh, let's see, basketball is getting ready to start, so we have a Rotowire basketball channel as well. Be sure you're into that, all the hoop heads out there. Big thanks to our sponsors over at Circa and Blue Wire for Mario Puig. I'm John McKechnie. Thanks for listening. Try Rotowire today, free for 10 days. Get our premium tools, rankings, analysis, and breaking news alerts. No credit card required. Go to rotowire.com forward slash try. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.